Welcome, everybody, to the Monthly Movie Dispatch, the show where we get together every month and we talk about what we've seen, what we recommend, and what to avoid. What separates us from the other 100,000 movie shows on YouTube and on podcasts is that we've been high school friends and we've been talking about movies our whole lives. And we will still be talking about them, even if no one's listening. So uh, I hope you're listening out there, though, because I'm psyched. We have a bunch of good movies to talk about. It's October. This is our October episode. And uh, yeah, let's just jump right into it. I got uh, Brandon Bowlby over there in New York City. How's it going? We got Sean in Seattle. Hi. And Derek in Everett, Washington. Hello. So uh, what's up, boys? What's up? What's up? Hey. Um, so real quick, I got some warm-up questions for you that are tangentially related to the stuff that we're talking about on the show. Actually, the first question has nothing to do with what we're talking about on the show. It was Horror Movie Month, though, for me and Derek and whoever else wanted to participate. And uh, we don't really have too many horror movies that we're talking about today. But the first question is, uh, you know, the the big question of the of the of the week um what's the better franchise halloween or nightmare on elm street i just watched nightmare on elm street like two nights ago nice uh and i've only seen i guess i saw the remake of halloween um but i was pretty impressed with nightmare on elm street i really liked it so i'm i'd go with nightmare on elm nightmare on elm street i've never seen a nightmare on elm street movie Sorry, guys. Oh, So I guess I'd have to say Halloween. Okay. Oh, you, wow. Yeah. I guess this might not be the right crowd to to ask. Uh, Derek, what about you? I I think I'd go with Halloween just because the first first film in the reboot are so, such strong entries. But um, yeah, I still like Nightmare on Elm Street a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think I might, I don't know, I might go Nightmare on Elm Street. I think next year for Horror Movie Month, I'm going to watch all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Because, well, I mean, yeah. I think I've, I think I've only seen like three, so, but How those three were... How many did Craven do? Do you know? He only did two. Okay. He did the first yeah. and New Nightmare, and New Nightmare is one of my favorites, but... This is the I've, two I've seen. Yeah, and I've seen the, I know I've seen the second one. It's pretty bad, but it's really weird and really gay. And like, I love it for it. It just, it's really strange. But um, I've seen parts of Dream Warriors and I feel like I'd probably love that movie. Yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel the same way about Dream Warriors. I haven't seen it, but like, I've seen clips and I'm just like, I know that's going to be up my alley. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, um, okay. So moving on. Um, Brandon, by the way, I didn't mean that Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is weird because it's gay. I feel like it's a little gay and it's also a weird movie. Well, it's like, it's got like gay subtext a little bit, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's just a weird time in America. And, uh, I felt like the filmmakers were, I don't know. It just, it's a very strange movie, but, uh, anyway, it's a very gay, strange Um, movie. Got it. (laughs) Yeah, but okay. Um, relating to Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, part of our film club, uh, what do you guys think? Drive or Neon Demon? Drive. I've only seen Drive, so Drive. Neon Demon was in... I just haven't seen... I saw Drive once when it came out, and Drive may be a better film, but in my head right now, Neon Demon is just higher up for me. Yeah, 
Uh, I mean, power to you. Own it, own it, Brandon. I go yeah. drive just because it's like an all-time favorite for me, but uh, Neon Demon's one where I've only seen it once, and I feel like I need to rewatch it because it's like stuck in my head, you know? Like it's, you know, it's, it's, I think it was something special. I just need to give it another chance. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, not, not movie-related, but character-related, uh, Borat, Bruno, or Ollie G as a character? Hundred percent, Bruno. Okay. Yeah, I'd I go did after after watching uh, the Borat too. I rewatched a bunch of like YouTube clips of Bruno, and I think I'm gleaning Bruno too. It's it's so funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, that for that movie Bruno, like I've seen it dozens of times. It's great. Nice. Um, I think I might go Ollie G. What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Have you seen the know. movie? I haven't seen the OG movie. Um, and finishing up the Aaron Sorkin question, um, I think it's pretty obvious that everyone here would say that the social network is his best movie. So, um, obviously, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious, but, um, so I picked two of his other movies, uh, Moneyball or Molly's game. Oh, Moneyball. <clears throat> Moneyball. Yeah. Moneyball. No question. Moneyball. Although okay, no question. Molly's no question. game is super fun. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so yeah, those are the warm-up questions. Uh, we're gonna be talking about some of those coming up. But first, uh first segment of the day, we're gonna go on to talk about Pusher. Derek, you chose this movie as part of your film club. It was your turn yes. this month to pick a movie that we all were forced to watch from any time period. Um why did you pick it and uh, set it up for us? What's the deal with Pusher? Yeah. So I chose Pusher just kind of to keep in my trend of picking first films of directors that we all enjoy. And I just thought that was, that would be a fun direction to go. Cause he's kind of a weird filmmaker. And I was really curious to see like how he's like, what his style was like when he first started. Um, and so Pusher is uh, the, Letterbox plot summary is a drug pusher grows increasingly desperate after a botched deal leaves him with a large debt to a ruthless drug lord. Um, and yeah, uh, I don't know like how many other Nicholas Winding Refn films you guys have seen. Um, but I've, I've gone pretty deep in his filmography now. And, um, the one thing that I see is very consistent except for two films, which I think are Neon Demon and Drive are, even though they both still have hints of it, but his style is very much like, like Pusher was really quiet. It's like outside of the dialogue and like just car sounds and stuff. There's almost no, actually I don't think there is any music except for when they like go in a nightclub or something. And uh, everyone's pretty quiet. Like it's just kind of a toned down, um, I don't know. There's not a lot of like eccentric characters in his movies. Um, ironically, like he has a movie called Bronson starring Tom Hardy Hardy. And he's like the most eccentric character ever. But like, I don't know. It's kind of a weird, it's a weird thing that is, that is the, the, the thing that in my head feels like it is Nicholas Winding Refn's style is the subdued characters, even though he has outlandish characters like Bronson and stuff. But I'm thinking back, like he's done like a movie called Valhalla Rising, which is like a Viking war movie. And it's like almost silent the entire movie. 
even though it's like it's like disgusting at parts just like blood and gore and crazy stuff so in pusher i thought kind of fit you could totally see that in this movie too like the main character is so unexpressive like throughout the whole film you hardly even tell you can tell you can barely tell what he's feeling like even when he's like being physically harmed at moments he has like almost a perfectly straight face um there is like a torture scene where he's not so calm but it's i don't know that's just kind of his style and uh, i definitely saw that come across in this movie and sometimes it doesn't really work for me and i think in this movie is kind of middling um as far as that goes i liked it was cool seeing this kind of grimy uh i don't even know where it's like sweden or norway or something that this kind of takes place no um stockholm denmark stockholm no 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 yeah Yeah, i thought it was swedish stockholm Sweden. no the guy was swedish the 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 guy that he tried to sell the the um hundred and eighty thousand dollars worth of drugs to was he was the Swedish guy. Uh, yeah, I think, shot, I think he's a right Danish. I think it was they're De- all yeah, Danish it was Denmark. <clears throat> shot in Denmark. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, right. yeah, it was just cool to kind of see that '90s, uh, crime aesthetic through like a foreign lens like that and um i don't know i thought the movie was okay i think i'm you know after doing the horror movie month honestly i was like watching these movies and uh i feel like i was really hard on all the movies we watched this month like i don't know if it's like the just a position between them and horror movies like how much fun i was having with them and then kind of like coming down to like these more nuanced like kind of slow movies but man it was hard for me to get through uh some of these and pusher was just it was just it it's not like an exciting uh action movie by any means you know it's a lot of slow a lot of dialogue a lot of walking around and the camera's just kind of following people while they're talking about random stuff um but you know it's got its own its own unique feel to it and i can appreciate what they did with it i get i think i'm gonna give it about three and a half stars for me but yeah Derek, i think i'm gonna land around there with three and a half too but um i do think like as a as a unit like all three of us like we kind of uh we missed an opportunity to like really understand what was going on with the pusher movies um Mm -hmm. just because like it it really there's three of them you know i think that needs to be said like pretty quick is that there's three pusher movies and um from what i understand about the pusher movies i've only seen the first one at this point is that um they they take like the second one is about mads mickelson's character and he's Mm -hmm. the main character in the second one so it tells like the same like timeline the, the same story but from like his point of view. So um, the movie, the trilogy like tells like the same, like it's, it's the same time period just with like different characters. And you see like their perspective on what's happening with those events. And so, um, I mean, this one, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but it ended on a, like a cliffhanger. Like it was so much a cliffhanger Mm -hmm. and um, easy cliffhanger. Right. And so like, we're, 
you know, we're, we're, I feel like we only touch the surface of the pusher movies, you know, and, uh, it's like, uh, I got the vibe of it. And honestly for me, like the movie was good, but it, it kind of was, you know, it fell into that, that time period of late nineties where Tarantino was popular and there was movies like go and, you know, um, Know, Guy Ritchie them. was yeah. Guy Ritchie, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking yeah, Barrels, yeah. and those types of things. Where it was, 100%, you know, it was like, I was going to mention Train Spotting mm-hmm. and Requiem for a Dream, and just yeah. like all these '90s drug movies that probably all were inspiring each other a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I'm, um, I just you know, uh, looked it up. Uh, Pusher Two actually came out eight years after Pusher. Oh shit. So it was Pusher 2 and 3 was 2004 and 2005, and Pusher's 96. Damn, so people uh, had to wait a while. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Got to give still, the fans what they want. Know, like, yeah. I don't know. It's still like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I hear Mads Mikkelsen's just amazing in the second one, though. It's like this whole Pusher mm. thing was his, like, big breakout. Hannibal, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it was... Right when I saw his face, I don't know, he's just so young compared to how Weird. mature he yeah, is yeah. in Hannibal. So I didn't put it together right away. Um, I probably, oh, I probably yeah. liked this movie a little more than you guys. I thought I was kind of into the characters and like, um, uh, whatever's Nicholson, Hannibal, his friends, and just like how much time they spent at the beginning of the movie hanging out and the tough choices he has to make and like, there's some pivotal scenes that are super brutal and I really felt for everything that was going on. Um, and even his like kind of, uh, not prostitute. She hates being called that girlfriend. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, the, what she goes through during the movie and the climax with her character. I don't know. I thought the characters were really flushed out more than they needed to be for this kind of just drugged up, um, crime movie. And I was really into where everybody was headed, um, especially the lead. He just had like a great presence to him. And Derek, you were talking about his like face, the yeah. um, not just the interrogation scene, but like the lead up to it when they're like have him cornered and he's just like so scared and sorry and knows what's coming. Like the look on his face is great. Um, I think there was some like kind of amateurish things every once in a while throughout this movie that took like popped me out i think a big one was like um when he was running away with the drugs and like that pop punk song just blares on out of nowhere um and there's a couple other like flourishes he he was trying to stylistically do that took me out of the movie but for the most part i was pretty into it sean you just watched this movie Yeah, I just wa- I finished it ago. like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hour or two hours ago or so. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit. Uh, I was a little bit mad on the characters. I did like the the main character and the uh, the the his friend that he owed money. Like the the main con- the two characters where the main conflict was between them where. I thought that was kind of interesting because, like, yeah, it's the, it's the main conflict of the movie. He owes this guy a ton of money, but they're friends, so the guy's kind of really understanding and, and kind of trying to help him out a little bit. But at the same time, he's like, you know, <clears throat> he's, and even the he's a too. drug dealer. Yeah, the hitman was, was pretty like, interesting. They were good friends, really good friends. <clears throat> outside of that, it was I thought all the characters were kind of met, and I really I found myself throughout the 
movie thinking like I just like it whenever the main character was in like mortal danger, I was like, they could probably just off this character right now and I would be fine with it. I don't really care about him. He's a huge piece of shit. And, uh, you know, he, and he, there was just wasn't enough to him that made me care about his character or what he was doing as opposed to like, um, uh, I actually got a lot of, uh, uncut gems vibes from yes. this movie or, you know, I get, it's obviously reversed, um, where it's, I actually think I'm sure uncut gems was influenced by, uh, this movie in a lot of ways, but it's just like how it's, a, he just keeps on getting himself deeper and deeper in, uh, it more and more in trouble. And like, you know, it just keeps spiraling out of control. Um, but as opposed to uncut gem, uncut gems, this movie, like it didn't feel like it had that really like strong, interesting central character that was pulling you through the movie just because of like, you know, you just can't look away. I, I don't feel like this movie had that, <clears throat> oh, man. but I did, I did enjoy the movie and I think it did enough <clears throat> to keep me interested and, um, yeah. Yeah. Sean, uncut gems popped in my head like three times mm-hmm. while watching this movie as well. For well, sure. let me ask you guys, do you think, uh, do you think you'll watch the, the sequels two and three? I'm I'd love interested. to. Two's supposed to be even better, and all the reviews are yeah. like, it's, it looks like it takes it up a notch. Yeah, especially with like eight years, um, like the the he, I don't know. Hopefully, developed as a director over those eight years. Um, yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested. Yeah, I'm gonna check them out. They're yeah, I I eventually want to see all his movies so. Those are kind of the last chunk I need to watch. Yeah. Um, they're on Tubi TV. I don't know if you guys ever uh, dabble on uh, Tubi, but uh, it's a f- kind of a fun, random, uh, free streaming source. Did they're you guys Tubi watch TV it on Tubi for- with commercials? I watched it on Tubi. Yeah, it does yeah, have commercials. But, uh, I paid for the rental. Um, yeah. They're uh, available, I, I think, I think another week or so. So hop on it. Um, nice. Cool. Do you guys have anything else or should we move on to the next movie? Let's get it going. Yeah. Cool. Um, so uh, we're going to jump right in. Uh, we've got... Uh, uh, <laughs> so a kind of funny thing happened uh, in the over the course of October. Um, uh, Sean's pick was a movie called She Dies Tomorrow, but um another movie came out and seemed more culturally relevant so uh halfway through the month we kind of pulled an audible and Sean kind of uh, he was kind of met on she dies tomorrow and we're we switched it with the more culturally relevant movie uh Borat subsequent movie film the the Borat sequel um I do want to touch to be on fair, I don't think we knew this movie was even coming out like I yeah. think they kept it pretty well hidden right I think that like yeah yeah, that was a total surprise as far as, and I don't know about you guys, but I was like not really feeling Borat uh, at first, but then um, as it got closer to release, I actually got pretty excited about it. So yeah, we, we switched to Borat. Um, I do want to touch on She Dies Tomorrow, though, just because we did preview it, and um, 
uh, Sean has we nothing really to say it. about it. We talked about this before the air and he was That's extremely most of what I have to say about the movie is that I really just have nothing to say about it. So, yeah, that's that's basically all Sean had to say about it. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Um, it was definitely trying something. The concept of the movie was that someone there was like a this woman believed that she was going to die tomorrow. And uh, then that thought became infectious to anyone that she spoke to about it. And uh, a sort of uh, paranoia, uh, psychosis started uh, reverberating um, through the land uh, with the people that she came in contact with. And um, I kind of thought that the I thought that was a pretty interesting concept. And the movie tried to do some fairly like psychedelic uh, horror type um, sequences um, uh, but mostly it was a drama, you know, to me, it wasn't really that scary. It was more based on like the sadness of, uh, of death coming. And, um, you know, I, I thought it had some good ideas and I thought it, I thought a lot of the emotions were very real and, uh, pretty sad and, um, just bleak, but, um, Overall, uh, I, I thought it, it didn't go as far as I would have liked it to, to like really recommend it for people. But, um, you know, I thought it was a pretty interesting idea, though. I just watched this movie, like Sean, a half hour ago, like Sean did with Pusher. Oh. Uh, so I just finished it. It's pretty short. Um, I mm. think I agree with everything you said, Nick. I was literally going to say the same thing. Like, I was actually pretty into everything this movie had going for it. Like, it's look, it's style, it's weird plot. Um, but I kind of wish the movie was longer and it went a little deeper and they had like more weird philosophical conversations about death. Cause there was like only a couple moments where they actually dug into like what it actually meant to them that they were going to die tomorrow. And that's what I like was most interested. And I would have loved for just like, um, you know, all like, Richard Linklater style handful more scenes like that of them riffing on what death was act, you know, actually coming for them. Right. And but, uh, then the ending was kind of ambiguous too, where like, you know, uh, I, I guess I shouldn't spoil it, but it, it was just kind of like, okay, so what was that movie? You know, <laughs> like so, it didn't, it didn't go all the way in almost any direction. And I just kind of would have liked to have. Yeah. Had I was pretty on board. I just wanted, wish it went a little further. I watched this movie. I really don't remember like anything about it. Like I, I, I think I agree mostly with what you guys there said. Was nothing to it. But I don't remember the point of any single scene in the movie. Like I don't really. I couldn't tell you exa- like what happened in it. Well, it's very much a meandering. I don't know why. It was a meandering movie where there wasn't like a lot going on. You know, they kind of were just kind of going to different places and just kind of. Yeah, I mean, that's like that is kind of sums up what I thought about it. It was just like it was so meandering and everyone was so mopey. And and then it's just and then it like it was that for a little bit and it was a little boring and. And then it kept kept going. It was like mopey and then it was over and I was like, huh. Okay. Okay. Well, um, anyway, that's She Dies Tomorrow. I just wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about it. I think we should just jump right into Borat. So, uh, Sean, do you want to read the plot description of Borat since it was technically your your movie choice? Yeah, sure. Um, 
Borat subsequent movie film, a follow-up film to the 2006 comedy centering on the real-life adventures of a fictional uh, Kazakh television journalist named Borat. Um, I guess, I don't know. That was pretty bad. Maybe uh, Wikipedia has a better... It's Borat. <laughs> Everyone knows Borat. It's Borat. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Borat, I, I, I was going to say, like, if if it has, because this one has a, a bit more of a plot than the than the first one, um, about him trying to give his daughter to Mike Pence. Like, it, we find out he has a daughter, and he's trying to get... Uh, bring honor back to Kazakhstan or, you know, he gave Kazakhstan a pretty bad name in the first movie. And now he has to regain Kazakhstan's honor by giving his 15 year old daughter to, to, uh, Mike, Mike Pence. And, um, as a gift. And the government sent him on that mission. Yeah. Yeah. The government, his, his government sent him on the mission. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I, uh, actually quite like, uh, the first movie. I, I, I remember quite liking it back in 2006 when it came out. Um, and I really haven't, I don't think I've seen it since then, since it came out. Um, I just recently, just a little bit ago, watched uh, a bunch of clips online, uh, on YouTube from it. And, you know, it's pretty funny. Um, but I, it's hard for me to tell at this point if it was just like, did I like it so much because I was so much younger and I was just, you know, that kind of humor was more up my alley or was, did the movie f- just feel a lot more fresh uh, back when it came out? Um, whereas at this point we've seen, you know, not only Sasha Baron Cohen, but a bunch of other people do that kind of thing. Um since Borat, uh, a lot of others. Yeah. And, um, so maybe it's just, uh, it was more fresh back then. Um, but regardless of what that, what it was, uh, I really, I I really liked the original. So I was pretty excited about this one. Um, and I was a little, uh, I just didn't think it was as funny as, as I remember the first one being, um, but not only that, but I, I don't think it was as clever and I have to, uh, maybe give the movie a bit of a pass because I, I can imagine how difficult it would be to try to do Borat again in today's world, just cause you know, everyone knows who Borat is. It was such a massive success. And so it, to, in order to to get around that, he has to you know wear fat suits and wear f- fake um, you know prosthetics and wigs and stuff. So inherently, it's he looks a lot more ridiculous um, now. Just trying to um, you know just trying to be in disguise so people don't recognize him. So I could see how that would be a lot more limiting today and who you could even pull this off on you know uh but um yeah uh See, I, I thought that was a pretty good quite as I thought that funny was a pretty good I, cover though don't you think like i thought that was like a clever way of uh that's why i kept it, thinking going into the movie like how are they going to still do borat everyone knows who borat is how are they going to mm-hmm. do that and yeah. to have him be that be part of the plot that yeah definitely he, I, I agree that was pretty clever <clears throat> um like 
it was so, and it was like so simple. It was like, oh, that Borat just that came out, and Borat, the character is is super famous, and we'll just go with that. And so he has to be in in costume, but at the same time, it kind of, it is still limiting, like because he's trying to get real. He's really trying to fake people out with these pretty outlandish costumes and prosthetics. And it's, you know, I, I think a, a lot of people would see him and and see the costumes that he's in and just like, I don't know, not uh, fully, uh, you know, kind of uh, be tricked by it, I guess. Uh, but not only that, but uh, that style of interview is a lot more popular now, like the, that kind of fake interview. Uh, like everyone knows about that. And and I wonder if people um, are less able to be fooled by that type of um, by that type of thing. So anyways, I, I think what the movie ended up having to do is uh, was a be a little bit more contrived in um, how they presented these scenes. And I, I, I just felt like a lot of it was put together in the editing and it, it just didn't feel as authentic to me as, as uh, that, uh, as the original Borat or Bruno felt. Um, And I just didn't think there were, there were that many really good uh, authentic like classic Borat scenes uh, that really made the first movie and and Bruno work so well, um, as well as the the TV show that he used to do. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I I think um, the the two scenes that worked really well were like the the clinic scene where he puts the baby in his daughter's belly and uh, has to go to the clinic to get it removed. Like I think that was a really great scene and then like oh, the God. scene with the doctor yeah the the doc- doctor? like that's like a really great example of of why where borat works like where that style of comedy works so well like just getting putting that person in that situation and having him try to defend his his strong firmly held beliefs in that situation was like was great um and then like the olympia scene the the scene that uh at the protests in olympia where he sings the song about um what what they want to do to the to the liberal democrats um but yeah there were there were were definitely a few scenes that that worked really well um but overall i think the most of the movie felt pretty contrived and and uh forced um uh, yeah. I I kind of felt the same way with the maybe I could call them set pieces or the gags like yeah I it made me question how good the original Borat was because it'd been so long and then <laughs> it did like the exact everyone same it made uh, me question everything yeah and then like you guys I went online <laughs> like went on YouTube just look up clips and I've like I said I love Bruno so I found myself wandering into Bruno territory and I was like no like Bruno had some fucking amazing gags in there um Mm. like the homoerotic like wrestling match that they did in front of like cage match (laughs) oh my god that was so outlandish and like risky (laughs) like they almost died um 
or just like something as clever as the Velcro suit in the middle of fashion week in New York city. Like that was so mm. clever and funny. Um, and I just didn't get that much of that from this movie. Um, so I don't know why it was so different. Shawnee tried to explain it, but I just yeah. really wasn't feeling it as much as um, Bruno. And it's been too long since I've seen the original Borat. So I don't know. That's where I'm at with this movie. Well, they, I feel like they used a lot of the same humor from the first Borat. And it's like, I don't know. Borat was just so shocking, like at the time. Because mm-hmm. we had it, you know, it was our, at least it was like America's kind of introduction to Sasha Baron Cohen. And, um, he definitely goes for like kind of shocking, offensive humor, you know, that's, that's kind of his bread and butter. It seems like he's like, he's trying, trying to offend people because that's how he gets the reactions he wants. Whether or not it's like stuff that should or should not be offensive. It's like, regardless, it's, he's specifically going out of his way to like aiming at whoever he's targeting, you know? And, um, I think that that stuff just isn't as funny anymore because I think Borat did start kind of a cultural phenomenon of that sense of humor, you know? Um, Um, But I, I mean, I had two examples of scenes that like, like, okay. So the big scene, like kind of in the first half, one of the biggest things they do is go to that, um, dad, daughter dance night. mm -hmm. And just the climax, like it was absurd. And it was so like, they're clever ideas for her to lift up her like dress and just have this bloody period filled skirt. Like, I don't even know where that idea really like was playing off of. Or like it was just right. crude to embarrass everyone at the party, but it didn't have yeah. some like meta thing to it. Um, though that one thing when he got the dad to admit to prostituting his daughter for five hundred dollars no, was says, insane. He, well, he said, "How much would you pay for my daughter?" And he said, uh, five hundred dollars." Yeah, that was a great. <laughs> and then his daughter and his like daughter leans over to him, him and he goes, <laughs> "Yeah, that is so fucking gross." That was a great <laughs> ten second moment. And that then um, really the Trump. Uh, Pence rally or when he just shows up in a Trump suit and just kind yeah. of gets kicked out, but there's nothing really like else going on. Yeah. Um, I just think a lot of things fell flat like that, like compared to some mm-hmm. of the older stuff. Well, it's kind of what I mean. Like, I think maybe his approach to that sense of humor just doesn't really work anymore. And, um, not in it, maybe it wouldn't have just in general, maybe he's kind of lost that touch that he had of like being able to figure out what it is that, is going to get the reaction he wants, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe he's just not taking things far enough. Maybe he's just like, you know, older and not as interested in doing that. But I don't know. Part of me kind of thinks that part of why a lot of these fell flat is that people, even the people, like it, it it's pretty obvious they're really going after like conservatives and trying to really embarrass like different conservative groups and stuff, you know? And it kind of seemed to prove that a lot of people are just way more tolerant than maybe they were back then. You know, the the reactions just aren't as extreme. Mm. And um, especially with like, for me, the Olympia stuff kind of fell flat because I, I had seen the footage of it a long time ago, like camera footage. Oh, really? Of yeah, like when it first happened, people were like, "Oh my god." Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was in Just Olympia. Doing he was like, huh. on a stage. yeah, but no one knew what it was for. No one knew it was for this. And like seeing, I don't know if you guys want me to like ruin the gimmick for you, even though you've seen the movie, but, but like, obviously 99% of the people there were like, 
horribly offended by him and we're like trying to kick him out and stuff like that. They don't show any of that in the movie. Obviously. Well, yeah. I mean, but, um, kind of like, I don't know. I, I, the more footage of that scene came out and, um, like, I think that people were like, not that offended by him, at least at first, um, like people right. were singing and yeah, they filmed it. They cut to the people that were singing along, but I think it was kind of like, you know, he, uh, you know, he kind of fit in with that crowd, at least initially. And then um, once they found out it was him, like the, he was chased out of there. Like there's a yeah. there's a deleted scene of him, like running into a security car and like like he he's literally out of character holding the door shut while people are trying to get in and beat the shit out of him. Jesus there's like someone man. on a megaphone. You can hear him outside being like, get the fuck out of here. You know, like people were like legitimately mad and uh you know chasing him out of out of olympia and um but he but you know, it's, he couldn't include that because that's not wouldn't be a part of the storyline right 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 exactly um i don't know guys i thought it was pretty funny i uh i got kicked out of it i do agree with you that like uh it wasn't i didn't think it was the best movie like i'd probably give it three stars but i laughed a lot a bunch like i laughed a bunch but um, I also I, I agree about how the um, the time has changed. Like we're not in 2006 anymore. We're we're not in 2016 anymore. You know, like we're we're in a place where everything is uh, heightened. And um, also like we've seen a lot and heard a lot and laughed at a lot and also cried at a lot. You know, it's like I don't know, like a lot of the jokes made me laugh. But also it was like, you know, uh not as shocking as like it would have been in the past or like not as like, you know, there's that scene where he's telling the cake maker to write, uh, you know, Jews will not overtake us, you know, which like the way he delivers that line to me is like very funny. And, uh, you know, the fact that the lady makes the cake is also, is also funny, but it's all, and it's like, it's like, you know, it should be like condemning her or something, but also it's like, you know, we've seen a lot in, you know, in 2020, you know, where like a lot of contentious stuff has happened and, uh, it doesn't seem like, you know, uh, like it's not as biting, you know, it's not going to ruin and like nothing in this movie is going to ruin anyone as evidenced by like the Rudy Giuliani stuff. Like he kind of just like brushed that off and yeah, it was pretty heavily edited and nothing actually happened, but you know, like, you know, it, it was pretty bad and, uh, still like brushes it off and, um, but still, I, th- I thought it was pretty hilarious. I don't know the, that whole, another behind the scenes thing that I heard about was, um, those guys that he went and lived with, um, were, were actually legit. Like he, he, uh, he found those people and, uh, like they just let him live with them for like three or four days. And yeah, he was, I heard he stayed like in the Borat character for like three days while he lived with them. <laughs> like he just, yeah, was yeah, there totally for that whole favorite. time. Like and, like section of the movie, Nick. That was yeah. really good. Yeah. Apparently, he like, I, like went into. I was almost a little taken out of it because I didn't believe it. Yeah, it was so I was like, no, come on. Apparently, the film no crew way. went home uh, like at night. Like the film crew went and they went home, and he went into his like bedroom and he locked the door and he had his like suitcase with a lock on it that had like his computer and like his iPhone and stuff. Like so he could like produce the next day and like write, you know, because they write this as they go, which is also pretty mm-hmm. amazing that they like write this whole, you know, I mean, yeah, it was contrived, John, but like. They're sh- they're straight up writing this movie as they go, like rolling with the punches, uh-huh. and 
apparently he he told this story on like the tonight show where he was like in there like working on the next day's script and then there was a knock on the door and he had to like like throw his computer on the blanket and then like hold on what you know do the borat voice uh, one second <laughs> and he was very worried he was gonna get caught but then they were just like you have blankets and he was like oh yes thank you good night you know and um but, uh, you know, again, those guys were pretty interesting, too, especially if they were legit, because, you know, they're like they're telling them all this like QAnon stuff, these conspiracy theories and like just outlandish things that they that they believe in, which is also like, you know, pretty interesting how like mainstream a lot of these things have become. And, uh, you know, it's like to me, it's like, yeah, sure. You know, uh, we've all heard these things. Uh, it's not like. You know, it's not shocking to hear those things anymore, but kind of what was shocking was when he was showing them his book. Like, that was another thing that kept me laughing throughout the movie was his book of different things that happened of like, you know, with the with the vagina where, you know, if a girl masturbates, then it eats her hand. And he's like showing them the book and they're going what? What? No, this this it's is like this is anal, this is not like gay sex and stuff, right? Well, it, the thing that he showed them, oh, I think, the was giving birth to a baby where you're basically like having sex with a woman <laughs> oh, while yeah. she's uh, having giving birth. And, and then the baby pops out and it's, uh, you know, it's it's absurd. And they were, you know, this this is this is incorrect. You know, that whole like that whole exchange was very funny to me. We have uh, totally different interpretations of what that picture was showing, Nick. <laughs> I'll have to what do you mean? look at that scene again. Uh, I think uh, I think Nick's right, Brandon. Oh God! Well, it was like a two-way. You know, I don't really want to get too graphic yeah. on the podcast, but I think yeah. it was like they were double-teaming the pregnant lady as she was giving birth. Wow. But, um, yeah, that's what I saw yeah. too. <laughs> um, but uh, while yeah. there was like a doctor underneath cutting the umbilical. <laughs> Like, okay, so here's my question, I guess, for you guys. Before we move on, I don't think, you know, we don't have too much to say and dig into with Borat, but um, would you guys recommend this movie to uh, anyone? Yeah, probably. Like, it's it's mostly a harmless, like, movie that made me smile. It had some funny moments. It's pretty easy to watch. Honestly, not really. Like, if someone was, like, super into Borat, uh, you know, then I would say, yeah, watch it. There's nothing, nothing wrong with, there's not really anything wrong with it, but like I would, <clears throat> if I, if someone was at all interested in this movie, I would say go watch Borat or Bruno. Like I, I just don't think that this is a very good, um, representation of that style of, of movie of that, this kind of movie, which is really weird that we don't have a name for this kind of movie. Yeah. It's kind of a mockumentary. Like, well, I think the right? thing yeah. that it's, it's kind of, mockumentary. But it's just like on not. Netflix, like it's a like TV show at this point. It's mockumentary, half real documentary kind of, I don't know. It's it's weird. Well, the fact um, that it's on Netflix it. makes it easy. And for that reason, it's like, just watch it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. It's on. It's on. on it's on Netflix. It's on Prime. Prime. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I thought it was pretty funny. So I'd, I'd probably recommend it for people, but. Um, anyway, I think we should move on yeah. from Borat. Um, you know, uh, mixed mixed reaction over here. Uh, Sean th- says don't watch it. Uh, Nick and Derek say watch it if you want to laugh. Bryn says it was easy. So um, and may have misread a picture in it. So um, 
anyway, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, I've got a movie I wanted to tell you guys about. That, uh, I think some of you watched. Um, it's called Dick Johnson is Dead. It's uh, available on Netflix right now. Um, it's a documentary. Um, so real quick, I'm going to read the plot summary um, from Letterboxd. Uh, with this invent, I'm sorry. With this inventive portrait, director Kristen Johnson seeks a way to keep her 86-year-old father alive forever. Utilizing movie-making magic and her family's dark humor, she celebrates she celebrates Dr. Dick Johnson's last years by staging fantasies of death and beyond. Together, dad and daughter confront the great inevitability waiting all of us. Um, what this plot description doesn't say is that her father is um, has early set uh, Alzheimer's, I think, or um, at the very least, I don't know. He's at least losing his his memory, and so she uh, she moves him in the movie from Seattle to New York City, and he just moves into her apartment. And then throughout the movie, they like you know they recreate. Um, I shouldn't say recreate. They they make up different ways that he dies. Like he gets hit by a bus or like just a, a piano falls on it or maybe it's not a piano like a, an air conditioning unit falls on yeah. him and it's um you know it's 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 i thought i thought those sequences are pretty uh pretty creative um i i enjoyed that which um, is a line that is said in the movie she dies tomorrow walking in new york city and an air conditioner falls on your head you know that feeling oh you get. yes 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 um <laughs> Yeah, I actually watched this and uh, She Dies Tomorrow uh, like back to back, and it, it kind of went together in some I did ways. Too, like, yeah, they they kind of they kind of went together in a pretty uh, interesting way. Um, but I mean, they both were like meditations on death. And you know, I thought this I I like this director. Um, I saw her previous movie, uh, Camera Person, which mm-hmm. I thought was another really good documentary. Uh, she just uh, has a she has a voice with her camera. You know, she definitely puts her personality out there and her emotions. And, uh, she's, she's good at creating like visual storytelling type stuff. And this movie, um, you know, uh, it was obviously it was extremely personal. This is a movie about her dad slowly, slowly dying. You know, he's losing his memory and it's not just about him dying. It's about him like losing his identity, losing himself and, in that she's losing him slowly as well. It's like, it's, it's, it's not just about like that quick moment, like all the death sequences, you know, that quick moment, that's you dying right there. But what he was going through is almost more tragic because it's like, it's take, it takes a long time and it's, it's slowly and it's, it's gradual, but you see it happening. Um, like the loss just kind of builds up, I think. And, um, you know, I, I think that, um, I don't know. I was pretty moved by this movie. You know, I, I got like, you know, one of those, um, one of those moments at the end where I just, you know, wanted to go and tell the people I loved that I love them, you know, to spend more quality time with my parents and, you know, and just to be mindful of the time that we have together because it's, it's fleeting and it will end. It will, will end eventually for all of us. And it's just kind of, you know, it's, I thought the movie uh, kind of portrayed those emotions really well. And, you know, uh, it was, it was, it was a sweet movie though. Like it wasn't, I don't think the movie was purely sad. I think that Dick Johnson was a pretty fun person to hang out with for an hour and a half. And, uh, you know, I, I liked the way that they did it. So, um, what was the final line of the movie? Do you guys remember? With her in the closet? 
I think so. Her saying something about goodbye. Like she says like, well, the final line, I feel like she says Dick Johnson, Dick Johnson is dead. Yeah. But then she says something else right after that. And I, damn, I'm I sorry. I can't remember. It. This is yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I can't remember, but, um, no, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the movie for the most part. I thought it was well done. Um, I, I think this is, this is one of those things where I had like weird expectations going in because I thought like the premise that I heard, heard about it. I hadn't watched any trailers or anything, but the premise sounded really cool. Like it was this really like, uh, super experimental kind of documentary about, yeah, re, like act, like doing all these death things with her dad, who's not actually dead. Um, and what it turned out to be, at least from my perspective, was it was much more just kind of a movie about this daughter and her dad as he's entering the final acts of his life. And that doesn't that didn't ruin it or anything for me. But that that was by far the most interesting part of the movie, as opposed to the those uh the scenes of the deaths were kind of more like little act breaks, you know, they're really, really quick and kind of very small parts of the movie. Um, Oh yeah. There were, those scenes were so short. They were just like little blips of creativity or whatever. Right. And I don't necessarily think it's a missed opportunity. I just thought those, they were kind of mixed in in kind of a weird way that didn't totally work for me. I liked those scenes and I liked all the other stuff. It was just kind of weird and sporadic how they were worked in, I guess. They were kind of talking about that concept on the, um, I think it was on the Slash Filmcast, of uh, the possibility of maybe the movie changing directions at some point, where maybe those yeah. were supposed to be a bigger part of the movie, like that was going to be most of the movie, but then his health was kind of declining, and they realized that it was this was m- much more of a personal subject, and also the, the, act, the act of filming him doing these things was kind of taking a toll on him, so... Um, right. I mean, I and you agree see that. that they show that in the yeah. in the movie, too. Yeah. And I definitely think, yeah, that that's kind of what I assumed. And I think that's for the better, too, because he's just seems like such a great guy. And like we love spending time with him throughout this movie. You know, he's just like he's so warm and so kind. And, uh, you know, it seems like he's just like a really optimistic guy. <clears throat> and um yeah, I mean, in the, the bright, but the night, the cool thing about this experiment is that it did bring forward some unique uh, moments that we probably would have never seen before. Specifically, like him, his friend's reaction to like being a part of these things, like his older friend who has like a really great uh, scene towards the end. Uh, you guys know who I'm talking about? The funeral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that kind of a reaction, I think. We would have never seen that perspective from that guy without them doing this like death experiment stuff. And so, uh, yeah, that's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. That was the, that was the moment that I really like teared up and stuff is when he's giving like his eulogy thing. Um, but, but, and it kind of makes you think too, you know, it's like, I don't know. I've been around people that died and stuff, but, um, I guess it's probably a whole different thing when, when you haven't, I don't know, like him being alive and then like them filming these acts as if he was dead. And then you writing like a eulogy to the guy that's alive. Like you haven't fully processed like an actual death. Yeah. It's just, that's the most interesting part of the, or 
one of the most interesting parts of the movie to me. But um, yeah, overall, I thought it was really well done. It was pretty harmless, really short movie too. Um, and it gives a unique perspective on death for sure. And like you said, it kind of makes you think about your loved ones and stuff. Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but I've been thinking about this like uh, uh, like a lot throughout the COVID era. Um, I think it started. I watched um, this movie called Italian American. It was a short, uh, short Scorsese film. Uh, it was like 40, 45 minutes long, but it was basically just him hanging out with his parents, uh, cooking dinner. And then just like talking to them about their lives and how they were growing up and stuff. And, um, you know, watching that, I was like, man, I would love to do that with my parents. You know, that would be such a fun way to just like kind of kind of like immortalize them in a way, you know, of like uh, here they are. And uh, over the summer, actually, uh, I subscribed them to this service called StoryWorth where uh, they get like a prompt in their email uh once a month and or once a week and they like write a story and then uh you do it for a year and then they'll make into a hardbound book and you know just those types of things i don't know it's like i i I don't know i'm just kind of went along with it where i just wanted to like you know think about my parents and hold on to legacies you know hold on to stories and um i don't know i I was i actually texted my brother and sister about that for my parents too um that sounds like a pretty cool service but i think that was for last christmas but we didn't start it um this yeah this movie guys this movie made me cry a lot (laughs) throughout the whole thing um i thought there was some really incredible moments that she was able to capture on camera and i think a lot of it is due to the moment where this this man is going through Alzheimer's and the early stage of it. And he's still like self-aware that he's going through it. And I think usually a lot of times you see it when it's like, or you think about it when it's already fully developed. Um, But to hear him like actually acknowledge it and cry about it and talk to his daughter about it, um, and actually make those dis- like life end of life decisions with her it was just like really hard to watch, um, and also and he, just he beautiful like understands that she captured it, too, right? it on camera. Um, I mean, literally the like the scene where he says goodbye to her because she's leaving for a week, and he's like, "I'm like your little brother." Like, I just kind of like lost it in that scene. It was. Um, I, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, at the door. Yeah, yeah. it's just like just some amazing moments caught on camera. And that really is just what you want out of a documentary is these very pure, real experiences. Um, And yeah, this movie makes you think about everything, Um, mortality, life and death and how terrifying and and scary it is and um, what we can do for our loved ones. And it was yeah, I thought it was a very beautiful film. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how well some of the like B roll side of this movie worked or if it was as successful as she maybe wanted it to be like mostly the slow-mo like party sequences she kept going back to over and over again, or like cleaning his, washing his feet and stuff. I don't know. It was fine, but really the highlight of the movie was the real stuff for me. Yeah. 
I do yeah. like that there's also kind of a unique perspective since he was like a psychiatrist, right? And his wife had gone through all this. Yeah. So sure. at least I got the impression that he kind of understands how it all works, like yeah. probably better than a lot of people. And then going through it himself, you know, he kind of knows like what stages he's entering yeah. and all that What stuff. is it when, when she's moving him out of his home and he brings up um, her mom? And they both just have that moment together crying um, for what they had to go through with her. And like, it, it is pretty special that she was able to bring him in uh, and and take care of him. Um, uh, You know, big move, but um, kind of a special time for them in some ways, you know? Yeah. And he knew, and that's, yeah. He was so thankful for it, and you kept saying that over and over again. Yeah. Even if you don't, like, remember it. Like, that's what's so, like, trippy about the whole thing. But, um, cool. Um, Sean, uh, you didn't see this. Uh, do you think you, do you think you will? <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely sold. Um, I just had a super busy month with, uh, with work, and, um, yeah, I wasn't able to fit it in. Uh, busy, busy. End, but yeah, actually, hey, I'm like, um, ironically, I am now like completely free and <laughs> I have kind of a, a bunch of time. So I'll definitely watch it this week. Um, cool. Uh, well, yeah, I was just, yeah, I mean, you weren't required to watch this one. So, uh, you know, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, I think we can move on to the next movie, though. Um, Brandon, what was your pick for, for this month? Uh, my pick is the Netflix film The Boys in the Band. Um, this is an adaptation of a 1968 off-Broadway play. Uh, the IMDb synopsis is, At a birthday party in 1968 New York, a surprised guest and a drunken game leave seven gay friends reckoning with unspoken feelings and buried truths. Um, so actually... One thing, this film premiered on Broadway in 2018 for the first time. So it took 50 years for this to um, really... With this cast? Yeah, so... By chance? It took 50 years for it to come off of Broadway and actually have its Broadway debut, which is pretty amazing, especially for how mm. well-known the story is in you know the theater scene. And yeah, this is the exact same cast, every single character. Um, wow. is the cast that was on Broadway. And it won Best Revival at the Tony Awards that year. Wait, mm. I'm sorry. Could you say that again? So this movie was uh, it was on Broadway for 50 years? No, no. Uh, in 2018, it came on okay. Broadway for the first time. 50 years it's after off bro- the off-Broadway. It was Off-Broadway Broadway when it first came out. Oh, okay, Off-Broadway. Oh, okay. I missed the off part. Uh, so, okay, yeah, yeah. so it was Off-Broadway. And then, but it was pretty popular. Like, there's there's another there's another movie, right? Like, there's a mm-hmm. there's another version of this of this movie. 1971 film, pretty soon after that they made a movie of with some of the same cast. I don't know if it was all the same cast. Okay. But yeah, all, all these actors were on stage in New York in a couple years ago doing this, and they won a Tony for it. So that, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, about the the actual movie, I think, like, I think it's a really entertaining, fast, witty, snappy, well written play, 
And because of all that, it just is like really engaging and dramatic and fun to watch. Um, it just has like a really good pace to all of it. Um, I think it also had some just like really awesome like flourishes with the camera. Like it would try to utilize the space of being in this tight apartment really well. And then all of a sudden it would combo like multiple like movements all in the same shot and get like all these lines of dialogue in. And I would just kind of like jolt up a little bit when those things would happen. It was pretty cool to see. Um, and mixed bag for me on the performances. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Um, Zachary Quinto was really confusing me through this whole movie. Uh, he was like straight up a robot and I don't know what he was going for, but I couldn't get into whatever he had going on. Um, but then at the same time, like there's a handful of the other cast members, I don't know all their names that did great, um, that I really enjoyed their performances. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought Jim Parsons was pretty great. He's the, he's like the main character and then I thought he was pretty fantastic. And, um, also I I always enjoy, um, I, gosh, I wish I, I wish I could remember his name. Uh, the guy who's on Girls. the same guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's Um, always great. Yeah. Book of Mormon Mm. lead as well. No idea. What what is his name? We need to figure (laughs) this out. He's always great though. Robin DeJesus was really good too. Andrew Reynolds. Andrew Reynolds. Andrew Reynolds. Yeah. 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 He's always really good. And he was really good at this. And it was fun seeing him be more dramatic. You know, the usually he's like pretty um I don't know, sarcastic. Yeah. Um I I have like a big gripe though. Um and it can maybe you guys it doesn't affect you at all, but this is maybe a nitpick, but it is pretty big when these uh plays turn into film. And I see this a lot. It like Things get so goddamn mean and dramatic and like people are saying the most horrific shit to each other and even getting in like physical like fights and like noses broken and yet everyone's just like still hanging out in the same (laughs) room as each other. Yeah. When within like 30 seconds, every single person of the, in this group would be out the door. Like I'm, I'm going home tonight. Like why am I even here? Um, and I can't get over that. And honestly, like a lot of plays have this problem because they don't want to change the set. And so everyone just stays in the same house or the same room for the entire play. Um, but that really got to me cause there was just some like brutal things said to their friends in this movie throughout the, like the whole second half. And I was like, you guys just got to go home, like leave, please leave. Right. And uh, I mean, Brandon, like to me, it's one of those things that wouldn't bother me on stage. Like if I were to watch like to me, it's like a medium difference. You know, like I have issues with I have issues with musicals because often I feel like the musical works better on stage. And then when I'm watching the screen, I'm like, I just don't get it. Like, why are they singing right now? It just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. It's the same sort of thing where like on stage it doesn't really matter they're just it's drama you know it's the drama of it all whereas like uh you know watching it on screen it is kind of jarring to be like you know they're playing that game with the phone and they're just saying horrible things to each other and i'm gonna leave no you can't leave and then you know no one leaves and it's just punching each other in the (laughs) face like calling each other like the n and f words like back and forth and it's just like yeah like no one would ever stay there Right. And it just kind of really breaks the, I guess, reality for me. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. I I definitely just chalk that up to uh, exactly what you said. It's a based on a on a play, and they gotta stay in that apartment because if they leave, then they're not on the stage anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, maybe, and I'm sure like a lot of movies would um, change locations. They would go out on the street and have an argument there, or you know, so I don't know. But this one just chose to stay uh, more authentic or m- more true to the to the source material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I thought. Yeah, um, Sean, I think you liked this movie the most out of all of us. Yeah, I, I kind of think it did. Um, I was shocked, Brandon. I I was truly shocked when you said you didn't like Zachary Quinto's performance. I. Ooh. Uh, I thought it was really fun and interesting and uh, like I think he stood out uh, uh, with uh, Jim. What's his name? Jim uh, Parsons. Jim Parsons. Uh, You know, I thought those two were like particularly great performances. But honestly, like every single performance in this movie, I was like. Aside from the maybe the the dumb uh, cowboy kid who barely has any lines and they're so mean um, to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but but um, yeah, maybe aside from him, but I thought everyone had like such a great performance in this movie, and that was the, kind of the thing that really kept me going through it. It was just like these beautiful, poignant. Um, moments that these characters were were just kind of laying it all all out um on the screen um and uh yeah just it worked really well like the especially when they were when they started playing the game i thought that was so much there was so much there uh that they were they were working with when each person you know made their phone call or you know uh, and then it was like how they would cut to like when um, when the first character was was making his phone call and it was like flashing back to him and the guy in the pool um, as he was like remembering like that time that he had with this with that with that uh, kid back in his day back in the day that had such a lasting effect on him. And um, I just thought that was so well done, so well put together. And uh, I. I don't, also, I you you definitely uh, mentioned it, Brandon, but I, I don't think you can understate the uh, or you can't overstate the cinematography in this movie. I thought like there this movie had no business having such good cinematography. Like it did, it didn't need it, but having it there was like it bumped this movie kind of into another level. It like the way that the camera gives you such a great sense of the space. Cause like, I imagine you're, you know, you're sitting in a theater and you're watching this and you can see the whole stage. You can see where everyone is on the stage and where they are in relation to each other and how they're moving around the stage. And, um, you know, I think it would be so hard to get that in, or, or I think a lot of movies, you really wouldn't get that, um, uh, on screen because you would typically just put the camera on a tripod and, and film the actor as they move around, you know, just in pans and tilts and, and you, a lot of cuts and maybe wides and, but the way this movie like 
so deliberately and thoughtfully moves the camera around this tiny compressed space um, mm-hmm. as they're like giving all this emotion and and uh, all this movement and and um, it was yeah it really felt super special and like particularly when uh, what's his name I already forgot Jim Jim Parsons is like walking around the apartment turning on what seemed like sixty different lights. <laughs> Uh, yeah. around his apartment building but like it so just gave lamps. him a reason to be walking around around the apartment and like outside and back inside and the way the camera was moving around with him it like it felt so deliberate and like um gave you a sense that the camera was actively telling the story rather than like you know it's just uh just kind of passively observing what's happening, yep. I guess. That's uh, also so yeah, a stage. I thought that was super special. A stage trope as well is in yeah. movies, people usually like sit still on couches and stuff, but on stage, like staging is really important. You're always giving your actors drinks to go get or lights to turn on and off and people refilling other people's alcohol. And so everyone's always like moving around. Yeah. You mm-hmm. see that a lot. It's how you like, I guess, yeah, and on stage that would be how you draw the eye of the of the audience to someone. And yeah. Yeah, Sean, um, I agree. Yeah, I, I quite I agree with you uh, mostly about, about these things. You know, I thought I thought the movie was really well shot too. Like I, I thought it was I thought it was a pretty just like solid, like good movie. Like in terms of like cinematography, I thought the pacing was fantastic. You know, like it was one mm-hmm. of those movies where I turned it on not knowing at all what to expect and um like it just caught me right away and I just was like into what was happening and I just I thought the movie just like kept going and kept going and kept going. And I know part of that is just like, it's a really well-written play. Like it's, it's fantastic, mm-hmm. but just the, the movie version of it was, uh, you know, I thought it was, was one of the better adaptations, you know, it just was, it was solid. Um, my only gripe with the movie was that it felt, um, it didn't, it felt like I'd kind of seen it before not necessarily like that, specific story or anything because I haven't seen the play or anything like that, but just, it didn't really feel like it was super fresh or do anything like extremely new. It just felt like it was very, very solid. Mm. Yeah. Though I guess at the time yeah. that's what it was known for, but yeah, it was insane. Yeah, I think and you that's could, like, you could see, uh, you can definitely see how much this movie would speak to, um, to the, uh, you know, that generation back in the sixties. Uh, oh yeah yeah that was actually something i had to wrap my head around several times like i had to keep reminding myself that this is like a 1968 script uh for some reason it kept dropping from my head that like bars were still being raided at this time like that's how fucked up things Mm -hmm. were in new york you know and they they do a decent job at like kind of hinting at that i don't know if it would be stuff that's in the play but like what does he like go down to let someone in or something like that? And people like get a glimpse that there's like gay people mm-hmm. in the apartment right. and they mm-hmm. have like, yeah. Um, yeah. And even like that, that whole opening uh, montage sequence, I thought that was actually a super effective um, kind of s- storytelling there. Like um, what was it? It was the, uh, the, the, the African-American guy on the train who, so some, someone else walks onto the train and he, you know, totally eyes him up and down. And then 
then looks him looks over at the older black woman who who sees him and and like who sees him looking at this other guy and is just very judgmental. And then he, you know, um, stops crossing, kind of sits back and yeah. Um, and then there, there's a bunch of, uh, I'm kind of blanking on other examples, but there was a lot of, uh, seemingly really effective, uh, set up just in that. Well, one of the other shots was him, uh, kind of like, cheating on his boyfriend, Andrew Reynolds' character, um, at Julia's Bar, which is the oldest mm-hmm. gay bar in New York, which definitely was mm-hmm. around in the 60s. Um, and it's still there. You can go hang out. But he was, like, picking up that younger guy at that bar. And mm-hmm. his boyfriend sees him through the window. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, pretty, I should uh, also definitely point out that it was actually Bill Pope that was the director of photography for the movie. Oh, shit. The same guy who shot rings. The Matrix, yeah. huh? Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm pretty curious about the the other film version of this, just because you know that's that's who I am. I don't know. The other one came out in 1970 and was directed by William Friedkin, who also did what? like The Exorcist and The French Connection. You know, so like, wow. you know, the 70s are t- <laughs> totally different time period for movies. Yeah. Like, in my opinion, when I was thinking of the 70s, I'm like very gritty and like raw. You know, so I mean, this movie was very sleek and like well, like you know, well shot and the like, colorful almost you know with all the lamps and stuff mm-hmm. so um i i'm kind of curious i you know i'm, I'm gonna push the other one in my watch list that doesn't mean i'm gonna watch it next week or anything but you know i kind of want to circle back to that sometime and uh and see and kind of compare yeah. them you know for sure yeah i think i mostly um, echo what brandon and nick were saying about the movie you know it's pretty competent it does have like i think i agree with you guys that well, I don't know how, how to the extent you guys think, but I wish movies like this would take more liberties in translating it into a film. You know what I mean? Like as opposed to being so locked into the source material. Uh, I don't know. I just think that that stuff makes for better film. Like if you're, you could, you can make the same story work in a different way that doesn't have to break like rules of reality. Like, with people being locked in the apartment and stuff like that, you know, but mm-hmm. maybe also there, and it, there also already is a film of it. So like, why not change a few things? Right. Yeah. I, I also want to point out like that's, <laughs> that was very similar to how I felt about, uh, um, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Wolf. <laughs> it was like, there's no way these kids would stick around. <laughs> it's 5am. How are house. they still yeah. there? being yelled at yeah. and yeah uh but yeah um good movie yeah so uh that was the boys in the band uh that is available on netflix so uh you can stream that however you may like and uh we got one more movie to talk about today and that's uh derek's movie pick derek do you want to set that up for us yes so the pick uh, the movie i picked rounds out our netflix trilogy of movies this month is oh, Aaron's <laughs> so many yeah uh, netflix is going hard this year but um aaron sorkin's uh second directorial movie the trial of the chicago seven um picnics we're all fans of aaron sorkin and very interesting and relevant subject matter so um yeah the 
uh, letterbox synopsis of the movie is in 1968 democracy refused to back down what was intended to be a peaceful protest of the 1968 democratic national convention turned into a violent clash with police and national guard the organizer of the protest including abby hoffman jerry rubin tom hayden bobby seal were charged with conspiracy to incite a riot and the trial that followed was one of the most notorious in history and uh you know aaron sorkin's known for his um, courtroom dramas and his ability to like write those in ways that feel like they're you know like action scenes all of his movies I think and he, he, he just is so good at writing dialogue and it's always so biting and so like he's just so good at it that it feels like you're watching like the most exciting thing ever so uh, it seemed like this is kind of like the perfect thing for him to make. And I think his writing was pretty good for the most part. I think that you could kind of tell his, um, you know, you could tell that there's probably a filmmaker out there that could have made a better version of this movie if he had just written it and handed it off to someone, someone else. But for the most part, I think I, I mostly really like the movie. It's pretty big. It's a pretty big movie. Um, there's a lot of like what look like pretty big, like kind of set pieces. You guys know what I mean? Like with, yeah, you know, hundreds mm-hmm. of people in them, yeah, you know, a lot of so extras. yeah, it looks, it's like a pretty big production, like as opposed to like Molly's game and uh, social network, which he's very hands-on on. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I liked it a lot. I liked, um, it's a really interesting subject matter. Um, and it's, you know, parallels a lot of different things that are going on right now. Um, it's just, maybe he didn't hit, I don't know. It's like some of the messages just weren't as sharp as I feel like they should have been given the time that this movie's coming out. Like, it's just, it's such a good time for this movie and it would have been cool if it was like, if it really had something to say, you know, and I just kind of felt like it was missing that it was more just kind of telling you what happened. And, uh, you know, it even does like the kind of, you know, the cliche kind of wraps the movie up with some text saying what these people went on to do. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was kind of like a, I gave it a three and a half stars on letterbox. Um, I think it looked great. I think all the actors brought their A game. And this cast, like, it has a really great cast. Um, oh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Sasha Baron Cohen, yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen, you guys. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I was actually just about to comment on that how we started this episode talking about Sasha Baron Cohen and Borat, and uh, and then we're ending it talking about him in this movie. But um, yeah, yeah. I think like some of the highlights um, that really kind of showed off, I think some of his sensibilities that I think worked out to the, the best was like the lead up to the first like kind of riot where yep. it was like cutting back and forth between the footage and like the courtroom and stuff. And there's like music swelling and it like goes on and like the tension really gets ratcheted up slowly for a long time. And I thought, they did that twice and that was really successful for me both times. The other time was towards the end when they're kind of doing that mock trial at their house of like, if 
Eddie Remain's character were to stand on the, or, you know, go up to the questioned and stuff and what would happen. They kind of do a similar thing there and it worked out really well. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was, it was good. It was, it was, it was decent. Um, I, I think Aaron Sorkin's kind of a little off with like, it just didn't quite hit that level uh, what we're come to, what we're used to getting from his dialogue, where it's just, you know, super. It actually, you know, maybe it hits that level, but some maybe it didn't need to go that far because there's they add. I felt like there's a lot of like wit added in that like started to pull me out of what was happening. You know, like someone would make like an offhanded remark. It's like it's a typical thing that you see in his movies, uh, but it just didn't work to the benefit of the scenes that they're trying to do like i don't know it was like cutting cutting tension with humor but like Mm. that tension probably needed to keep building you know they shouldn't have cut it and it kind of let some of that tension out i guess Mm. of the scene so Mm -hmm. um but yeah overall i liked it a lot i'm uh i think it's a good movie I, i wouldn't be throwing it in the academy award conversation but um, yeah, you know, there's. I feel like there's something about the courtroom drama that um, if you just make a competent courtroom drama, I will be riveted by it. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> it's just like there's something about it that's just so so intense and like there's so, there's so it feels like there's so much at stake, and um, and the, you can. Um, the way that it goes over details and um, events in like, you know, this movie, it, it does it with, and that, that seems like in the, I haven't seen a ton of um, courtroom dramas, but like, you know, even Philadelphia or, or JFK or, or um, yeah, JFK, uh, the way that they like intercut like uh, footage from, you know, like, uh, splicing earlier footage, uh, into like the courtroom and like, um, telling the both stories kind of at the same time. And, um, there's just something so interesting about telling a story that way, uh, that these, that courtroom dramas tend to tend to do really, tends to do it really well. Uh, and yeah, so I just, I think like, just that aspect of this movie makes it totally worth it. And then like on top of that, you just get such great dialogue and such, uh, such rich characters and like um, such great drama between all the characters and some really, really intense moments in this movie. Yeah. I, I like this movie a lot. I think uh, just looking at our letterbox scores, uh, you know, I gave it four stars and a heart, you know, I, I probably liked it more the most out of the three of us, the four of us. And um, yeah, I, I thought it was really, really good guys. Um, I don't know in terms of like having the Academy Awards conversation. Yeah. I would, I think it definitely deserves to be in the Academy Awards conversation. I think it's an Academy Awards movie, you know, it's like a, it's a movie for Especially a lot of people. Yeah, it's a movie for a lot of people. Um, maybe mm-hmm. not like I don't think I'm going to put in my top 10 personally um, because uh, it wasn't like overly like super creative or, 
you know, extremely powerful, I guess. But I think what it did was it, it created a lot of those uh, really like big movie type moments. And I think, you know, those things can kind of turn off people sometimes. Um, but for me, like, I don't know, I, I bought into it. You know, I was I was full on in this movie. I I really thought all the performances were really great. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was fantastic i thought he was really really great Mm -hmm. and um i thought that there were a few funny moments with him uh the judge you know the judge was like the the, the problem i think with the movie is that it was extremely one-sided you know the judge was um so evil you know and maybe he was Mm -hmm. that evil and that's what was so frustrating about it though is that it was it was i got so frustrated watching the judge being like how can how can you do this? You know, you are so blatant. You've just made up your mind. You're not listening to anything. And that, that was extremely frustrating. Um, you know, I thought Mark Rylance was great as the lawyer, you know, the, yeah, I really like Mark Rylance. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I thought Eddie Redmayne, that might've been the most I've liked him quite honestly. I thought that he, did you like, he, did you like his face in this movie, Nick? I mean, it was still like, he still did the cutie face thing a little too much, but, um, (laughs) I definitely didn't think he did it as much as he normally does. So I, Mm -hmm. I, he wasn't like hamming it up to the camera like he normally does. And so I, I think that's why I liked it. And there was, there was that scene you mentioned where they're doing the practice thing with him if we should go on the stand. And, um, and he got like really angry in that scene. And I, I thought that was, I was like that, that might've been the best Eddie Redmayne scene I've seen, you know what I mean? And I think he, he nailed the, uh, the student speaker, like, um, I don't like dialect, like the sound of like, like that movie we watched boy state, like somebody mm. spoke exactly like him. Right. And then like he was you know speaking I mean? like, he was speaking like a politician, you know, or like a yeah. kid, like a student, like a college student who wants to be a politician, which is what yeah. that guy mm-hmm. became. Um, right. Have you seen then, Danish girl, Nick? Um, oh yeah, I saw the Danish girl. I just wasn't, uh, it was fine. But, um, Sasha Baron Cohen, though, like as Abby Hoffman, I thought he was so good because he was so goofy and weird. Um, that scene where they dressed up as uh, as the judge, you know, <laughs> that, you know, I can't help but laugh at that kind of stuff. And then there was the uh, other part where the they, scene where 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 he had the same name as the judge and the judge yeah. wanted to point that out. <laughs> Yeah, and and also when he they both uh, him and uh, Jerry Rubin at the same time like said uh, objection or I can't remember what it was but sustained like they said at the same time before the yeah. judge did and I, I just so funny mm-hmm. like and that's like what what you know that's what they brought to the table during those times but they were also extremely intelligent and you know Abby Hoffman wrote a book um, you know don't steal this book I, I and I I would just I would I feel like I would get a lot out of reading like just a book about him you know just he seems like he was extremely smart but also like really into you know like sort of uh, off the wall concepts and stuff and so I I don't know I I got really into I got really into this movie I was I was pretty much like you know, like I said, I don't think it's going to be my top 10 because it just wasn't like, uh, you know, creative enough, I guess. But I, I thought this movie as like a, like a movie movie, it was, it was what movies should be. You know, they, they make you feel and relate to the time and they do, they do a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, I, I kind of want to pass the ball. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So a judge can just like do whatever they want in a, their courtroom 
I was getting like really like you were talking uh, about Nick. Like, are not they if playing you this up to hold in the up script in higher courts? What? Not if you want it to hold up in higher courts. Right. That's why. Like. like that's why they're going like to do a. Um, right. That's why they're going to immediately at the end of this movie they were like, oh, just plan. You know, plan your. Uh, what's yeah. it called? Acquittal. Um, no, your, the appeal. Your, the, yeah, plan just go plan your appeal because yeah. like that's like this case was basically lost right when it started. And so you plan your appeal mm-hmm. and then you go to the next layer of court and hopefully, yeah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the if the judge was pad, like it's going to be listed there in the, you know, like the whole transcript of the court will be on there and they can, you know, make that as a point mm-hmm. for the acquittal. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah which is which clearly the, that's like, what happened. Well, that's, they that's ended clearly up, yeah. what happened when it went up to the higher court. It it uh, was was uh, they were all acquitted. Yeah, the prosecution didn't even try him again. The prosecution was just like, no, we're not going to do that again. It was all for show. I mean, and that's like part of the whole thing was that mm-hmm. this the whole trial was just like for political purposes, just to like try and make mm-hmm. an example of these people when there wasn't really like a case to go on necessarily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, when the judge like wouldn't take the uh, the defending statement from being questioned on the stand, um, and the jury wasn't allowed to hear, and I don't know, it was mm-hmm. just like yeah, the, maybe uh, all that did general. happen, but like, why can't you just tell the jury anyways when they walk in here? Like, I wanted this to go further into all these intricacies of the courtroom and how this was actually working um, with this evil of a judge. It was really frustrating and maybe it was supposed to be frustrating because he was such a terrible person in real life. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like this movie was fine or maybe less than fine to me. I think the best way I thought about it afterwards was it felt like a little like movie made for television in its kind of simpleness in the way it told its story. Um, and I think Derek, you did mention like the, the humor that he put in this movie, like whether it maybe was warranted or not in specific scenes kind of took me out of it. And maybe that's why it often made it feel like a just like pleasant movie made for television when I should have been like really being pulled on how like fucked up the situation was. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I gave this movie maybe like three stars. I probably liked it the least here. I mean, I the, Brandon, the big criticism of this movie that I keep hearing is the treatment of Bobby Seale, um, the the black guy from the Black Panthers who uh, got chained up in court and was like, you know, he was locked with his mouth gagged, like sitting in the courtroom, which is, you know, horrible. Like no American should ever have to go through that. And um, especially for barely doing anything wrong. And uh, the, I think the you know, in terms of being more powerful, like this movie basically just like, you know, skidded past that. Like they were just like, Oh yeah, that happened. And, um, now that didn't happen. And, um, yeah. Back to the rest of the plot of the movie where I guess I kind of took that as like, it's maybe a little unfortunate that that's how it turned out. But you know, that was definitely his, the, the, his climax of the movie like that was yeah but he was seemed like in real life he was sitting in the course room for he was sitting there for days and days and days it it wasn't just like it wasn't just like an hour like the movie made it seem to be it was like he was sitting there gagged yeah chained and gagged for days okay and it was like for show of power you know and it kind of you know it it kind of whitewashes it you know it kind of skits by and just you know 
and well, to that, me, I, I mean, read that I guess as like I just, that's just what makes a movie pace better. You know, it makes the movie just kind of yeah. keep going. Yeah. It's, it, it works for pacing, but it doesn't work for not just historical accuracy, but like for a powerful moment. You know, it's it was mm-hmm. it was powerful for that second, but then they just kind of you know they just kind of move along. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. I guess I would also ahead, like man. be sad if none of us pointed out how awkward the ending was. I, yeah, I was, gonna, I was straight up cringing up. Um, mm-hmm. and I like could barely watch the screen for the last few minutes of the movie. Um, it just like felt like the most straightforward cinema climax I've ever yeah. seen. Um, See, I like the ending. I like the ending. I know. Like, I know. I, I know. It's like cheesy and stuff, but so you know, sentimental. He's like I, hammering on the de- the gavel, or he's hammering the gavel. <laughs> it worked it, on me it, though, guys. Like it worked. It, it's like it's powerful. Yeah, uh, here's what worked for me for with me the ending. Too. Here's what worked for me with the ending. I I thought that Joseph Gordon Levitt standing up and saying "respect the fallen," I thought that was extremely powerful. And uh, because you know, to me, I, you know, I'm all about both sides of the country uniting, you know, like I, I feel like it's okay for us to have different, you know, political views. And it's extremely unfortunate that we are enemies because we have different political views. You know, it's like, it's so sad to me that like politics becomes so like angry and, uh, you know, tribal that you like you, you, uh, stick to, um, your, your side just because you're on that side and not actually going through like what's, you know, what is actually right or wrong. And, you know, like the whole, the whole movie was about that. The whole movie was about how like there was something wrong happening and justice was not being served in this case. And, uh, at the end of the day, it's about the Vietnam war. The end of the day, it's about the Vietnam war and it's about all the people who died and that the country wasn't take care of these people. And, I don't know. I thought it was pretty powerful that someone stood up and just started listening to the names. And then, then like I said, Joseph Gordon-Levitt standing up and saying that I was like, yeah, that's, that's what you do. You, you respect the fallen, you respect the dead. That's, that's what life is. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. But there was also a weird, um, I didn't like when Sasha Baron Cohen was on stage or was on the stand. Weird. What? A weird, like fade. Like he didn't get Uh, to like finish his, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, for, that was another was part that, that I loved. That I loved him? him on the stand. That was like was, another um, quote that I've been I've been saying nonstop for the last, like ever since I saw that movie. He said, uh, "I think the last thing he said before that awkward fade was, um, uh, how do you how do you overthrow a government peacefully?'" And he said, "Well, in this country, we do it every four years." And uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think that's extremely powerful and something that yeah, we should all keep point. in mind. Yeah. And I think yeah. like right before it faded, though, he said um, um, he, he was asked a direct question that he was having troubles answering. And he said, sorry, I've I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. He was, he was asked, I forget what the question was. He was asked, uh, I know it. He was asked, um, if he had, if he had hoped that he would get into a fight with the police that weekend. Mm. And then he paused because he was like, I I don't know, you know, and because that shouldn't ever be on trial, you know, the fact, uh, whether or not he wanted to or not like that, that's not, um, those are just thoughts, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. how law works. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I loved it when the, uh, um, or we didn't talk about the main lawyer. Um, what's fuck. What's the actor's name? He's so Mark good. Rylance. Mark Rylance. I mentioned him. Yeah. He was amazing. Mm-hmm. I love how much he's exploded this like last decade, but, um, yeah, <laughs> this just the, there's a couple scenes when he's just catching the, um, the other side and just how like unmoral they are. And he's like, no, let's play this out so it can be on record as how absurd this is. And he like keeps antagonizing them um, as they go down their like own rabbit hole of how fucked up that courtroom was being. Uh, Those scenes were really great. I liked that a lot. I think, Um, I think the performances in here really, really carried the movie. It was, it was well written too, but um, that's definitely the most entertaining part I think was watching. I mean, it's mostly just acting like they're just, delivering dialogue in a courtroom you know but the one i will say though that guy um what's the actor's name jeremy strong i felt like i don't know like what that person actually is like i can't remember which character he played he was jerry rubin jerry rubin he felt like he was doing like a donnie chong like impression the whole time yeah that's like that's all I could think about every time he talked. It's like it did not sound like a real person speaking. Was he too extreme? I thought it well, just even been, when yeah. he's like having a serious conversation, he's like, Ooh, I didn't, you know, man, I'm gonna... just like yeah, so just seems... high at every moment. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I hear you. At least like at least Sasha Baron Cohen as Abby Hoffman was able to like you know bring in those like moments where he was like serious and you could believe that he was actually like a scholar you know when he's yeah when he says that he read everything the other guy had ever written you believe it yeah whereas if jerry right. rubin said that you'd be like uh, i don't know man i'm pretty sure you were smoking that blunt <laughs> in the car the other day with cheech uh not positive but i'm pretty sure that was you yeah i do think this movie like i do agree nick i think it is an academy awards movie i just wouldn't consider it like one of the better films of the year so far but um I do think this probably would have been a pretty big hit, like had it come out in theaters during normal mm-hmm. times. Yeah, I think it would have been a big hit as well. Um, I don't yeah, know. I, think I know. I, I know a little bias about yeah. this movie. I, I'm with Sean. I like courtroom dramas are definitely something that I just kind of like. You just gotta be mildly like, you know, interesting for me to be like, oh yeah, courtroom drama. But uh, you know, also <laughs> my my dad uh, was. Uh, he was at these protests, like he was at the Chicago uh, Democratic Convention in 1978, 68. And, um, you know, he was he was telling me all about it. Like we talked about it afterward and how he was, you know, he was at the those those trucks with the barbed wire, you know, like he saw those. He got pepper sprayed, you know, Mm -hmm. He, he was telling me all about like that experience. And, you know, it's it's pretty like heroin, you know, it sounded it sounded totally horrible, like it sounded extremely awful and uh you know the country was extremely divided and it was a mess and you know i can't help but look around and be like yeah we're in a very very similar situation right now and you know hopefully hopefully we bounce back from it mm-hmm. so this interesting letterbox review yeah who, <laughs> who don't put that out? on there it's what? so funny who wrote this quote on from by letterbox user at the bottom, no one put that. Nick, it they must have been you that put it on there. I didn't do that. Oh, Derek. What? Who's lying? Put it right in there. 
Derek, read read it. This Aaron Sorkin is way too good of a writer to be forced to work with such a mediocre director as Aaron Sorkin. I, I mean, thought that was funny. It's not it's not <laughs> wrong, honestly. I mean, that's like the thing where like he Aaron Sorkin came out and said that he would love to write another uh, social network movie, but only if David Fincher directs it. You know, because like I'm kind of oh, yes. with that. Where like I don't want a social network movie with with Aaron Sorkin directing it. I mean, it'd be fine, but it would mm-hmm. be another right. masterpiece if David Fincher directed it. Uh, but wait, who added this to our document? I did. Oh, okay. Why is that so? Yeah. Why is that like, so like, yeah. I'm, it's like really is, pertinent information. It's a big controversy. <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. Cause no, fuck? cause I asked and no one spoke it, so up. Confused, so. Yeah. Wait, who wrote that? Derek. In our document? Derek. <laughs> Sorry. And he lied for some reason. I didn't lie. What are you talking who's the, about? Who's the letterboxed user? You said, who put that in? I said, I did. And then you guys asked like five more times. And I said, I did. I did. You're like, maybe Nick did it. Who's the letterboxed user? Though? What's the their podcast username? will tell I us. I need to know. I honestly right didn't here. think you were going to bring it up in the podcast because it's so unrelated and like doesn't really matter. But I just like just a second or just a minute ago, I read it and got a good chuckle out of it. It's a great quote. Well, um, I think we should wrap it up, though. Um, we've said a lot about uh, the the trial of the Chicago 7, the Chicago 8. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, so it sounds like we're kind of mixed on it. Um, we all sounded like it was a pretty good movie, but uh, maybe not a great movie um, for all of us. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's available on Netflix right now, so... Uh, I definitely recommend it, um, but Ooh. Brandon thought it was just okay. Um, anyway, so uh, so that pretty much wraps up the show for today. Uh, we're going to, real quick, preview our movies that we're going to be talking about, the 2020 movies for next month. Um, Sean, what movie are you picking for, uh, what 2020 movie are you picking for, for November? Uh, I am picking the 40 year old version, which is the virgin the, uh, IMDb version. Oh, not virgin. Okay. Because that came out in like 2004. not virgin version. Okay. Uh, Rada is a down on her luck, New York playwright who is uh, desperate for a breakthrough before 40 reinventing herself as rapper. Oh God. Uh, Rodimus, Rodimus Prime, she uh, vacillates between the worlds <laughs> of hip hop and theater uh, in order to find her true voice. Vacillates um, yeah, between just looks, things? Yeah, uh, just super what? fun and interesting. <laughs> that is a weird word. What? You guys have never heard vacillates before? No. I was thrown off by it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, looks uh, looks really interesting. Um, pretty kind of kind of funny and uh, interesting interesting voice. Um, cool. Yeah, my movie I picked is Hillbilly Eulogy. Um, this is a Netflix film, and it's directed by Ron Howard. It comes out um, towards the end of November, November twenty fourth, and I don't know. Uh, it has a really good cast. Um, Glenn Close, Amy Adams, and directed by Ron Howard. So I think it's definitely going to be a big movie that a lot of people will be talking about. 
yeah, hopefully it's good. Yeah, this is one of those movies where you see it on the schedule and you're like, okay, that's probably going to be an Academy Award movie. Hopefully it's not just like bait Academy Award and it's actually like good Academy Award. But um, does the trailer gives me like, what was that one movie? Fences, I think people called it like Academy Award, the movie. Like it's just like acting. (laughs) It was just like a showcase of these people's act yeah Uh (laughs) that's kind of what this trailer gives me vibes of but hopefully it's more than that um derek what movie are you picking uh so last minute change here i'm picking this movie called save yourselves um it's already out on vod directed by alex huston fisher and eleanor wilson um the premise is a young Brooklyn couple head to an upstate cabin to unplug from their phones and reconnect with each other, blissfully unaware that of their surroundings, they're left to their own devices as the planet falls under attack. Uh, I totally forgot about this movie until like 10 minutes ago, but I've been really wanting to watch it. It has this actor named John Paul Reynolds. that's in a show I watch called um, Search Party, and he's so good in it. And uh, Sunita Mani is in it too. Um, she's been popping up in a whole bunch of things. I think she's in glow and, um, yeah, it looks really funny and really creative and, um, yeah, that's what I'm picking. I've seen this movie pop up uh, on Letterboxd a bunch. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're picking it. It looks really fun. Um, I'm picking a movie called, uh, Kajillionaire. Uh, it's directed by Miranda July, who, uh, I haven't seen any of her other movies, but I've, uh, they all look like quirky indie type movies. And this one, uh, looks like, uh, it's got, it's like about two con artists. Um, I'm not really sure much more than that, but it, it looks pretty fun. It's getting good reviews. Um, it's got Evan Rachel Wood in it and Deborah Winger and Richard Jenkins. So, you know, fun cast. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty pretty eager to watch this kind of weird movie. So it's like I said, it's called Kajillionaire. It's available to rent on uh, you know on demand platforms. And with that, uh, we're pretty much uh, wrapping the episode up. Um, I, it's my pick for uh, our film club, uh, which is. This, uh which is the segment where we um, I get to pick a movie for any any time period, not just 2020 and force you guys to watch it. And, you know, it kind of took me a little while to go through this. Um, I like to pick a movie. I like to pick movies that are maybe some of my favorites and uh, that maybe you guys that you guys maybe haven't seen. Um, uh, I was really tempted to pick uh, the 2020 movie. Um, uh, about the time Jesus got assassinated, but, um, I, I decided against it and decided to stick with my usual format and, um, pick one of my favorites. And because it's November, uh, I like to participate in noir November. Um, I'm not going to really commit to it like I've done in years past, but, um, yeah, I figured I'd go the noir route. And, um, so the movie I'm going to pick for you is called, um, uh, the lady from Shanghai. So it's a, it's an Orson Welles movie. He uh, directed it and stars in it. Um, it's also got uh, his his wife at the time, um, uh, Rita Hayworth, and um, uh, they were kind of on the outs though. Like he famously uh, made her dye her hair, um, which was like she had signature like a hair hair color, and she you know he forced her to dye it. It was kind of a it's a lot of backstage drama with this movie, but. Um, 
honestly, I don't think this is like, I'm really curious what you think you guys are going to think of it because, um, it's one of my favorites. Like I, me and Shannon, we both like, we love this movie. We watch it like almost every year. We just, we get, we have a real like blast of this movie and I, it's got its fans, but I also think it's not like a perfect movie. I think it is kind of sloppy, but there are some really beautiful and artistic moments in it. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty curious what you guys are going to think. And you know, it's Orson Welles, you know, uh, um, legendary. So, uh, wait, well, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, on it's Amazon on prime. prime too. So yeah, you should be able prime. to just watch it on prime. Nice. And, um, with that, I think we're wrapping up the show here. So, uh, any final thoughts, any, uh, anything you'd like to throw out there? That's it. Um, real quick, if yeah. you've, if you've watch got movies. Shudder, watch uh, Scare Me, because that one's uh, probably the best 2020 horror movie uh, that I watched this for Horror Movie Month. Uh, so Derek can test to that. Oh, yeah, you guys. Yeah. Derek, like did you do Horror Movie Month? Uh, kind of. I watched, like, 15 movies or something. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fun. Well, um, anyway. So um, with that, uh, I think we should sign off. And, uh, you know, thanks for listening. This has been the Monthly Movie Dispatch. And have a great month of movie watching. See ya. Bye. Bye.